This episode is sponsored by Less Accounting. Are you looking for a system that makes it easy to track all of your expenses, income, and your budget? Is QuickBooks too much of a pain for you? It was for me, and I switched to Less Accounting, and I love it. It makes things really easy to keep track of and gives me a lot of charts and graphs that make it easy for me to look at and just know where I'm at with my expenses and everything else. One of the owners, Alan Branch, and his son have written a book for entrepreneurs' children that talks about what entrepreneurs do and why they're important. So if you're interested in that, then go to lessaccounting.com slash hero. This episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the first place I go to keep my business skills sharp. They offer over 150,000 books on business, finance, planning, and much more. They also have a great selection of fiction that keeps me entertained when I'm just not up for some serious content. I love it because I can buy a book, download it to my iPhone, and listen while running errands or at the gym. Get your free trial at freelancershow.com slash audible. This episode is brought to you by CodeSchool. CodeSchool offers interactive online courses in Ruby, JavaScript, HTML, CSS, and iOS. Their courses are fun and interesting and include exercises for the student. To level up your development skills, go to freelancershow.com slash CodeSchool. This episode is brought to you by ProXPN. If you're out and about on public Wi-Fi, you never know who might be listening. With ProXPN, you no longer have to worry. ProXPN is a VPN solution which sends all of your traffic over a secure connection to one of their servers around the world. To sign up, go to ProXPN.com and use the promo code TMTCS, short for Teach Me to Code Screencasts, to get 10% off for life. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 135 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Curtis McHale. G'day. Eric Davis. Hello again. Ruben Lerner. Hi, everyone. I'm Charles Max Wood, and the recorder is not in standby this time. Um, We also have a special guest, and that is Greg Hickman. How are you? Now, Greg, uh, if I remember right, you have a podcast that you do on mobile marketing called Mobile Mixed? Yes, that is correct. Is there anything else that we should know about you? Uh, a little bit, I guess. Uh, I live in Denver, Colorado. Mobile Mixed got started in June or July of 2012 and started off as just a podcast, primarily doing interviews with people that were I thought were doing cool things in mobile you know, from the marketing perspective, and then slowly evolved into more of a solo-based show teaching people how they can use mobile to generate leads and drive sales for their business. And, you know, that has been a, a huge driver in for me to build like a speaking business, a consulting business. And I create informational training products and have been working for myself now full time since December of 2013. So kind of my first year, um, a lot of it was started on the side, but now I am 100% full time myself. That's awesome. <laughs> it's been an interesting journey. Yeah, it was It was kind of interesting. I went to your talk at Podcast Movement. After your talk, I, I kind of had to go up to my room and just check out a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> That's usually the response that I get after I, I speak at, at conferences. <laughs> They're like, oh my God, I need to go check my website. Or, oh my God, I need to do that. I didn't know that so many people read email from their phone. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice educating people on that. I think there's a lot of opportunity there. And especially for people that are, you know, really just getting, even getting started, you know, it's really hard to, to build an audience. And, you know, every single member of your audience should count and you should care about every single person. So whether you have a hundred people or, you know, a million people, if half of the audience is connecting with you from their phone, you know, and you're not doing anything to make that a good experience, then, you know, it doesn't matter if you have a million people because you don't, you just cut that in half. So, you know, you really got to take care of those people because that's, they choose how they, 
how they can consume and connect with your with your content. Right. I mean, I, I use this uh, system called uh, Mouseflow, uh, which sort of gives me snapshots of people who come to my website. Mm-hmm. I can sort of see where they've gone. Yeah, there, there are a lot of different systems like that. And it shows you the actual size of the screen that the person uses when they're coming oh, to that's your cool. site. And it has been fascinating for me to see that not everyone, in fact, fewer and fewer people are coming to my website through their regular desktop computer with a huge monitor. Right. Um, you know, you've got these like this this little rectangle here, and that's what they're looking through, and it's a completely different view of the universe. Yeah, and really a, a different impression that you're giving them. You know, and like you know, as podcasters, especially, you know, a lot of people find out about us or hear about us through the podcast first. So, like when we're sitting here on our on our show and we're, we're saying, "Hey, you know, come to the site." mobilemix.com or, you know, check out this episode or the show notes at, you know, episode one, that could be the first time they're engaging with us. And if it's, you know, if your site's not prepared for, you know, mobile users, then the likelihood of them ever coming back to your site again is actually low and it's against you, you know, so you got to make a good first impression and that's happening on the phone. Well, the other thing is, is that I've looked and done some research to see where people are putting, you know, mobile versus desktop traffic. Mm-hmm. And the most conservative ones I'm finding put the break-even point where we had as much mobile traffic as we had desktop traffic. That evened out a few months ago. And the most aggressive ones in favor of mobile put it, you know, at like 70 or 80%. And so a lot of people are browsing the internet on their phone. And so even if you're not putting out content that they're going to be consuming like a podcast on their device, Mm. they're still going to be checking your stuff out on their phone. You give them a business card and they're sitting in the elevator or in traffic. They're going to pull out their phone and check it out. Yeah. It's just the way that we consume now. And it's the way that we need to grow our business, quite frankly, or at least a part of it. So... The part of your talk that blew my mind wasn't the part about like having responsive design on your website. The the part that blew my mind was all of the text message stuff. Yeah. Can you kind of uh, give us a quick intro to that or at least get us started talking about it? Because I'm not quite sure where the best entry point is for that. Yeah. So, I mean, SMS or text message marketing is, you know, was basically like the original form of mobile marketing. I think that started in like 2003. You know, a lot of businesses and brands were building mobile databases, sending out text messages to their customers, you know, getting them to take action. And it offers the most reach out of any other mobile tactic, really. You know, if like you look at smartphones or apps, you know, only at least in the United States, like 65% of the United States has a smartphone still. So like there's a whole portion of the, the, the world here that, you know, still can't even connect with you if you're only offering on mobile is an app. So SMS definitely offers a lot of reach, um, but it's also really, really effective due to its immediacy. I mean, 90% of text messages are read within three minutes. 98% of them are opened. So, you know, you look at that compared to email, um, which, you know, depending on the industry, you know, average is like 22%, you know, if you look at multiple industries. So it's just a, a, a quick way to engage. And, you know, I don't know if you're subscribed to any you know, businesses or brands to get their offers through texting, but it breaks through all the clutter. So some of the things that, you know, I've been promoting have been, you know, using text messaging as podcasters to build your email list. 
Um, so you can actually collect email addresses through texting, you know, using certain softwares. So, you know, people that are listening to your podcast when they're in their car or when they're running or not around, you know, 65% of podcasts are actually listened to on a smartphone. So like when you sit there and say, Hey, visit my site at this long URL, like the likelihood of them going there is a lot lower, but you could add a simple text call to action where people can opt in. So you could say something like, you know, text mixed to 38470 to get the latest checklist for what we talked about today in this episode or you know subscribe to my email list or register for this webinar that I'm holding next week and then on the opposite side of that you can use it what it's really good for reminding people so um I've worked with um a handful of online entrepreneurs that use SMS or that do webinars and we've implemented a system where they collect the mobile number during the registration process for these live webinars and we send out both voice and text messages within an hour of the event and it's just reminding people that the event's happening and we've seen it increase people's show up rates anywhere from 25 to now 45%. So, you know, you get like a thousand people to register Typically on webinars, you get like 20 to 30% show up rate. But if now you can increase that by, you know, 30, 40, maybe even 50% and you're selling on that webinar, you have a chance to make a whole lot more money each and every webinar just by simply sending a few reminders via text. So I must admit that when you said sending SMSs is a marketing uh, tactic, I, I mean, the only exposure that I've had to that, and granted Israel is different from the U.S., is these companies that say, oh, what's your phone number when I'm checking out? And so I give them my phone num- number, or I used to give it to them, and then I'm stuck on this SMS list where once a week, once every two weeks, I'll find out about the specials at the store where I bought my son his pants. But you're not, you're not talking about that. You're talking about something a lot more sophisticated and clever <laughs> um, and less annoying. Yeah, I mean, like, that's use case that I talked about at Podcast Movement was, yeah, very much just using it to build your email list and to, you know, drive people to show up to your live events. I think, you know, if you're like a brick and mortar business or you work with a brick and mortar business, yeah, there are ways you can use it where it's, you know, sending the weekly offer. But like, if you don't do it strategically, yeah, it, it could be really, really annoying. Um, but I mean, like, you look at Starbucks, you look at, Target, Walgreens, Walmart, JCPenney, Macy's, like all of these guys literally are sending one text message a week to their entire database, sometimes probably targeted. And they've been doing it for years. Like they have hundreds of thousands of mobile numbers that people that have opted in to receive offers. And they say, Hey, this is a last minute offer for these set of products. Click here and buy online or buy in store right now. And it has a link to a, a coupon code or, you know, a barcode that they can go in and scan it at, in store. And it's really, really effective. I was previously the, the head of mobile for Cabela's, which is a, a large retailer in the United States for like hunting, fishing and camping. And to get people to take action, you know, sending a very strategic like offer, coupon, et cetera, at the right time to the right person that has that interest, you can see a really, really good conversion. I mean, we've seen mobile offers redeem 10 times that of printed coupons. So like, you know, you can really get people to take action because it is so immediate and it's, you know, on our personal device. Now, granted, because of that, like you have to offer relevant stuff. So, you know, the example you were talking about, you know, very easily businesses can get stuck sending stuff that's not relevant to their users. But if you focus on it, create a strategy, I mean, it's it can be really, really powerful. 
Well, and I really like the tactic that you mentioned before with the reminders. Yeah. So, and I've seen that with uh, John Lee Dumas. I think does it now with entrepreneurs. Yeah, I Potter. set him up with that. <laughs> yeah, I kind of figured once you said that that you know yeah, I actually, noticed the changes on his webinar stuff. Yeah, I'm actually working on a case study of his right now. I was going to publish it today, but it's probably going to get published tomorrow on the blog. But yeah, all of that stuff coming out of that conference, everyone was like, "Oh my god, I want to do that!" And because of that, literally the first week of November, I have a course launching called Convert from Anywhere, which is basically teaching people step-by-step how to set this up for themselves and their business. I mean, John Lee Dumas did it. He still uses it, sees great success. Amy Porterfield, who's like a huge Facebook marketing person, I implemented it for her or helped her implement it with her team. And um, she saw great results. Patty Keating, Lead Pages is now using it. If you listen to Tim Pages, Conversion Cast, so I got them set up on it. They're seeing success and driving more people to their webinars. And I mean, like, if you look at someone like John Lee Dumas, I mean, he's pretty open about how much money he's making. He makes a lot of money. And, you know, he gets, you know, he, he basically makes about like twenty to thirty thousand dollars every single webinar, you know, and he does one webinar a week. And now he's like adding another, you know, five to depending maybe even eight thousand dollars per webinar because just because he's getting more people to show up. Like he knows he'll close like twenty to thirty percent of the people on his on his webinars. So if I can just get twenty to thirty percent more people, even more onto my webinar, like that's you know, money in the pocket. So it's kind of a no brainer for the cost. And that's another huge reason why it's so powerful is because it is easily trackable and, you know, it, there's a great ROI, you know, so like John spends, I think like 50, maybe 75 bucks a month to power all of those messages. And it's getting so many people onto his web, but it's turning into, you know, over $5,000 in return. <laughs> so so now you guys all want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I'm struggling with or wondering, like, how would I use that for my own freelance business, right? I'm doing a little bit of product here and there, but mostly, like, say, 90% of my income comes from serving clients, performing services for them, building them sites, or building custom tools. What how would I use of, this type of stuff? What type of... It's mostly building websites and stuff? I build complex e-commerce tools normally. Okay. But, well, I mean, like, for example, you guys are all on this podcast. You could use a text call to action to get interested customers onto a list. You know, if you hold any sort of events that are geared towards you getting more customers, you could use it. You could just do it for service-based messages, too, if you wanted. You know, you have to think about kind of the customer service level. I mean, I get messages from, like, my dentist reminding me to come and schedule an appointment. I get text messages from AT&T. I get, uh, you know, about my, my, my payment was made. I get text messages from my credit card, you know, like status updates, like, Hey, like, here's where the project is. I mean, you could do things like that versus sending email, like coaches can send tips. Do you maintain all this stuff too? Or are other people like, do you kind of build it and then they made, they maintain it? Uh, it would depend on the client. So probably 50. Yeah. 50. So like, I mean, like if they're maintaining it, like you could actually send out quick videos and tips of like, Hey, you know, this just happened. I know you're managing your thing. Like you should probably look into this or maybe fix this and you'll kind of be like that resource. It could be a, just a way of distributing time sensitive information. But I will say it's not, it's definitely not for every business. You know? Yeah. It seems to me that like if I have a follow up with a lead or a prospect, you know, it'd be a good way to remind them that we have an appointment or, or things like that. And if I am doing some kind of marketing, so for example, if if I'm doing an event where it's, hey, you know, let's talk about making your website mobile friendly, 
which is something we talked about on here, then I can remind people to come. I can get current and past clients to sign up for the text message list and just let them know, Hey, look, if I'm, you know, if I'm doing an event that you're interested in, then I'll text you and let you know. And then they just get the text from this system instead. Right. So things like that. Yeah. I mean, again, it's like if you look at your business and you think about the way that you communicate with your clients, any sort of potential time sensitive information, exclusive information can be delivered through this channel. Uh, you know, mobile shouldn't be treated or at least text messages shouldn't be treated, uh, the same as, as email because of its immediacy, because of the device and its personal, you know, how personal it is to us that like, just think about how you can kind of go above and beyond for those people. Can you deliver a weekly tip, a weekly video, you know, something like that, that just adds value to their everyday lives. Can, like that can be one of the things that ends up bringing more customers to you or the reason they buy your product, like when you offer it later. So one thing that, that I kind of want to talk about here for a second that you kind of brought up was that, you know, our phones are kind of personal uh, mm-hmm. devices. Yeah. So should your text messages be more personalized if you can do that? Or do you have tips for doing that so that it doesn't feel like an intrusion as much? Yeah, the, the, the more you can segment, the better. I think it's funny, like the, the technology that's out there that does this, especially for like small to medium sized businesses, I don't think it's as easy to segment and target as we would like. But like there are platforms out there that you know, you can add users to different, like essentially like tag users, subscribers to like different interests and then send out targeted messages. I mean, the more you can send personalized and targeted messages, I don't think it necessarily needs to go all the way to personalization, but I think segmentation is a must, you know, based on interests, based on the type of content they want to receive or actions that they've taken, you know, products they've purchased. I think if you can deliver more targeted messages, they'll convert better. But yeah, I mean, it is possible. And if you can do it, you should. Kind of when you're beginning to build your list, most people and even brands sort of start off like generically and build like a master list. And then over time, they start segmenting. Um, like they'll introduce like, you know, say it's like a shopping center, for example. Like they have tons of different retailers in the shopping center they can be sending all these different types of offers, you know, restaurant, dining related offers, coupons and sales, retail related offers. But, you know, if they start building everything, they'll get a bunch of people in. And then over time, they can say, hey, do you want to keep getting retail based offers with coupons and deals from all the participating retailers? Reply yes. And then, they, you know, that would put them in a different group and they can start sending like retail specific messages to those guys. So to answer the question, yes, I think we should. <laughs> <laughs> How does and this is perhaps an unfair question, but how does this affect people? I mean, I assume you're doing mostly work with people in the U.S. How does this affect people who have multinational businesses who want to reach out internationally? I mean, I can send SMSs for my Israeli cell phone. It's included in my twenty dollars a month plan, maybe even less yep. now. That I can mm-hmm. call call an SMS eighty countries for free. But I realize that's a that's not the case in the U.S. Yeah, so this is great. It's a great question and great point. Yeah, most of the platforms that you would do this in the United States, yeah, you know, it's definitely U.S. based, or sometimes they'll include Canada. Mainly, the the obstacle there is the different wireless carriers. You know, they all work. You know, on different networks. So, you know, when you're working with a U.S. based provider, it really does kind of limit you to the United States. And same with other countries. I mean, there's other companies out there that do SMS. You know, in the UK, Australia, etc. But yeah, you'll be 
you'll be limited there. So, I mean, you do need to be cautious. I mean, I have an international audience for my podcast and my products and services. It's just one of those things where you have to be clear with your call to action. So like when I'm on my podcast and I do say, you know, text, you know, mixed three, four, seven, zero, what have you, I do mention and try to try to mention that, you know, it is for us based mobile subscribers only. And if you're international, you know, visit this URL. So you kind of have to be intentional about it, but yeah, there's unfortunately no great solution to do that for you know all countries at once. Do, do companies like uh, Twilio is the one that comes to mind? Do they handle uh, different countries? Um, they do handle multiple countries, but I don't believe that on one number they handle multiple countries. Oh. So there's kind of two ways to to execute something like this, and it's using short codes or long codes. Short codes are like those five six digit numbers you see, like when I say text mix to 38470, like that's a short code. Twilio uses both short codes and long codes, which is just a 10-digit number. So the 10-digit number is more likely to work in more countries and looks like Twilio does have, sends over to a thousand mobile carriers, global reach. But uh, that's most likely with their long codes, not with their short codes, because short codes, they work on different systems. Like if you have a, a huge list a huge mobile list, and you're sending a like high volume on a long code. Wireless carriers actually hate that, and they'll just turn you off. Like there's, like wow. Twilio. The, the reason Twilio can do that is because most people are doing like building applications for like group messaging, and like they're not hitting high volumes. So like it kind of like goes under the radar of the wireless carriers. Like when you do text messaging campaigns with short codes, like those campaigns get provisioned and approved by every single wireless carrier, which is why it like takes longer for them to get set up, which is why it's beneficial for you to use a platform that gives you a shared short code like a, like a call loop, who is, which is what I use. And yeah, short codes are expensive. So like if you wanted your own dedicated short code, like going through Twilio, uh, like Eric just kind of messaged here saying that it costs $3,000 for three months and that's all paid up front. So like if, a retailer wanted to get their own dedicated short code, which I don't recommend they do if they're like a small to medium sized business. They're paying um, either 500 or a thousand bucks a month on three, six or 12 month increments. And that's why people go to tools like Tatango in the United States or Call Loop because they went and provisioned the short code and like hundreds of businesses are all using the same short code. So that's a little deep into the weeds, but a little clarity there. Yeah, I did some work on a mobile-based application a while back, a long while back. And I remember that there were also some rules as far as, like, if you text stop, then it, you know, you can't text them anymore and things like that. Yep. And if you go out and provision your own short code, then you have to build that in yourself. And if you go and use some of these other tools like Call Loop, then they handle a lot of that for you. Exactly, yeah. I mean, there's... um. In the United States, in October of last year, 2013, there's new rules and text messaging got added to the Telephone Consumer Protection Act. So it's definitely more governed now. Uh, and yeah, like that's why it is safer to go through the route of working with one of these other providers because they're doing their due diligence to make sure that they're compliant with all of the organizations that, that kind of monitor that. So I wonder, Curtis, do you know this? Do U.S. short codes work in Canada? I have no idea. I got to be honest. I hate those text messages from anyone. So I, <laughs> I get them occasionally from Bell, which is my cell phone provider, and I just delete it immediately because it's something I don't care about. So Do you know? I Greg? have no idea. It depends on the provider. Like we did, I was working with a company that's now they just changed their name a couple times. Now they're called 
Uh, they used to be called iLoop. The short code that we were on was provisioned in Canada and like we got into like certain parts of like Mexico, I believe, but not like UK or anything like that. I hear advertisements for short code sometimes, but mm. I have no idea how it all works at all. Yeah, I mean, you don't really need to get into the nitty gritty of that stuff unless like you're building a business around it, like a Twilio or what have you. But for the people listening, like you can get on a plan anywhere from 25 bucks to 100 bucks a month and start building a mobile database, you know, using it to engage with your audience, um, how you see fit and be engaging with them pretty quickly. You know, it doesn't take long to set up. Yeah. One other thing I I want to point out with the, the short code SMS marketing that I like is that I hear from people all the time. I listen to you on my commute or I listen to you while I'm mowing the lawn or I listen to you, whatever. And so when I tell them to go check out some website or something, a lot of times they're not in a position to do that. But, you know, when they're stopped at a traffic light or something, then they can go in and, you know, send that text message. Or the other thing that they can do is they can, you know, if you have an Android phone or an Apple phone, then you can, hey, Google, or, you know, you can pull up Siri and, you know, hopefully you can get it to text the right thing to the short code. But, you know. Yeah, and hopefully you're not texting while you're driving either because you'll get in a car accident. (laughs) Yeah, good point. I mean, I, quite frankly, even just typing in URLs, especially complex URLs on my phone, is really quite annoying. So I can see where that would be quite helpful. Yeah, and you can useful. deliver you could deliver links, and you know, so like, say you had an app and you wanted to offer your podcast, like, hey, make sure you download the app. Just text app to one two three four five, and it delivers them the links to the app store. Versus saying, hey, go into the app store and find my app. You know, you could do things like that as well. You know distributing and making it just easier for your customers. So how do you use this uh, tactic of using SMS messages to build a mailing list? Because you mentioned that, but it seems like the two are different media. Yeah. So, I mean, I use it off my podcast. Like I mentioned, I use it when I go speaking, spoken 16 times this year. And every time I'm on stage, I give a text call to action. And when they text in, it says, Hey, you know, to confirm your registration, reply with your email address. And then they reply with their email address, and that actually adds them to a sequence in my Infusionsoft software, and then it triggers an email that gets sent to them. So I use it from stage all the time. I use it at networking events. I tell people what I do, and they're like, oh, like I want to learn more about that. Or if they do, I'm like, oh, well, just take out your phone and text mixed to 38470, and you'll get on my newsletter. You know, that works. Like, that's like sort of become like, oh, I don't have a business card, but you can text mixed 38470. <laughs> and that's helpful. Again, like, it depends on where you're promoting it. I mean, the th- one thing I like about it is you can create cross channel engagement. So, like, you can say on Facebook or Twitter, hey, text this to this and, you know, get this cool thing and take people from your Facebook audience, bring them into your mobile database, possibly get them onto your email list if they're not already. Do the same thing from Twitter. Do the same thing from Instagram. You know, it's not like depending on how big your audience is, it's not like you're going to be getting you know droves and droves of clients uh, or opt-ins. But it is a way to kind of capture those and engage those audiences in different channels. So just a matter of using that call to action of text this word to this number in all those places. I know that I mean my kids. So I have three kids, and my daughters. I guess my son also has a phone now at this point. So all three of my my kids have phones, and they certainly use apps. Uh, a lot to communicate with their friends. I mean, they're all on WhatsApp uh, and using that all the time. I mean, not, not that I'm encouraging us necessarily to go after children uh, uh, <laughs> f- with our marketing. Besides, they, they couldn't afford my, my rates. But generally speaking, like, do you see 
younger people using things like SMSs or are they more interested in apps? Well, from like a consumer perspective, it's kind of mixed. I mean, it depends on what you're delivering. I think they're both as a marketer, as a business, depending on your business, it's definitely warrants having both an app and leveraging something like text messaging. The way I kind of look at apps is apps are for loyalists. You know, they're like your most loyal fans, they're your most loyal customers. Um, so not everyone's going to download your app, but if you're sending out offers and information that is of value, they might text in and join and just get those updates because they don't have to go through having to download this application. I mean, when you look at apps in general, 80 to 90% of apps are downloaded, used once and never used again. So if you're going to build an app, like it needs to be really sticky and give people a reason to come back. I mean, like if you look at the apps that you use now, they probably offer some sort of news or entertainment or utility. And if you can't continue to deliver on that over time, the odds of them staying with you is really, really low. I mean, you probably have the average customer or consumer, I believe, has 100 apps on their phone. And I mean, how many apps would you say that you use regularly? I'd guess like three to five that you probably use pretty regularly. So like, what are you going to do or what can you do as a business to be one of those, you know, Mm -hmm. be one of those three, five or 10 maybe, you know, and use it frequently because one of the biggest challenges that like people and businesses, you know, specifically retail, like they invest in these apps with the intention for it to drive revenue, but they don't do anything to create ongoing engagement. Like it's just like, Hey, you can come shop in it, but they don't send me the push notifications. They don't add value in any way. There's no like content of any sort. So it's like, why, like I can just go to your mobile website and buy something, you know, why do I need to have your app now it's slowing down my phone or maybe like if you build an app and it's not optimized and it's sucking your battery, like now there's tools out there that showcase which apps are draining your battery. So if you're the guy that builds the app that's draining the person's battery, that thing is gone. And Eric's sitting here saying he has 98 apps total, including Apple apps. Yeah, which I'd love to delete, but they don't let you. But yeah, I mean, yeah like I, yeah, yeah. I have on my bottom bar, I have three apps. Like I don't like the way four look. And the th- one of them is a folder of nine. And that's the, it's the folder's called awesome. Like that's the one I'm in all the time. Like between that and then like my running programs, that's mostly what I use on my phone. Yeah. So. I mean, it's just when you, if you're going to create an app, like you really need to think about what can you do to really keep that audience engaged and keep coming back for more. And actually, one thing I want to mention though, too, is like mobile in general, a lot of people, and this probably can be said for some other marketing channels as well, but a lot of people like when they're diving into mobile, like they think mobile is going to like swoop in and save the day, like it's Superman or something, right? And like, that's just not the case. You know, you have to look at the fact that mobile, the reason mobile is so important is it because it connects our like media consumption and like experiences with like in store and all that stuff all together? Like it really is the thread that puts all these things together. So like it could, it, it most likely is the device that is going to take you from one stage of the like engagement and sales funnel to the next. You know, like it's, it could be that little nudge that gets them from being you know, just a prospect to buying something or being in your store. So I think it's a matter of, you know, how does this help the customer advance through this customer journey? When you say mobile, by the way, do you only mean phones or do you also mean tablets? I specifically mean, like, when I say mobile, I say smartphones, I think smartphones. Um, But yeah, I mean, like, Google, like, if you look at Google Analytics, they separate 
mobile and tablet now. I personally don't believe tablets are yes, they're mobile like they're mobile devices, but they're not used as mobile devices. Like if you look at like if you look at most tablets, like statistically, like a lot of the research shows that people use tablets very similar from a behavior perspective as they do with their desktop. Whereas smartphone, like the intent is is a lot different when doing things from a smartphone than say from a tablet. Not all the time, but I think enough that, you know, people aren't carrying their tablet with them when they go to the mall because there's a bunch of like offers on it, right? Like they're gonna have that on their smartphone. So I think just the way that you interact with those people is different. So you can also use it then to send out these kinds of offers. Are you under the same kind of constraints that you are under for things like email lists where your email provider, you know, you get a certain number of unsubscribes or spam notifications and they start getting worried? Do Callloop and some of these others worry about that as well? Like if you about get a like number unsubscribes? Of, yeah. I mean, unsubscribes I don't think are necessarily a bad thing. I mean, if you're a business, yeah, like if you're, you know, seeing a high unsubscribe rate, then yeah, like you want to figure out why. It's probably because your content's not good or you're not targeted or you're not relevant. But like industry average for SMS opt-out is 3.7% opt-out. So, I mean, I've never really seen it hard to stay underneath that. But yeah, I think the biggest concern now with all of the new regulations is did the consumer opt in knowing very clearly what they're going to get and how frequently they're going to get it? Because, you know, there's a lot of shady people out there that will build mobile lists that people never opted in. And then like when someone complains, that's what people are worried about, like less about the unsubscribes, but like you'd want to be concerned with the complaints that you potentially right. generate. Like the can spam version of it. Right. Yeah, exactly. They actually passed a law a few years ago in Israel saying that it was illegal for companies to send you SMSs if you hadn't explicitly opted in, which is why those stores then say, would you like to opt into our list? And it took a while for me and for others to realize we can say no. Um, or they'll give you a discount dependent on you saying yes, of course. But there's actually a loophole in the law, which is, I think, nonprofits and political parties. And they can basically SMS you and call you as much as they want. Oh, right. Those are the people I want contacting me. <laughs> well, for the, the nonprofits, I mean, you still need to opt in. Political stuff. I mean, like, I remember, like, when the last election, like, I opted in. I also opted in, though. I opted into Barack Obama's campaign just because I was curious. And, like, they would send text messages out when they were doing, like, verbal reminders of, like, voting. And then also, like, when he was doing, like, town hall type online events that you can stream. Really just trying to get you involved and engaged. Interesting. So you said you're working on a course about this. Is there a way for people to get information about that? Yeah, you could either text, if you're in the United States, text CONVERT to 38470, or you could visit convertfromanywhere.com and sign up for early updates. All right, and we'll also look for that uh, case study from uh, John's stuff. Yeah, there'll be a case study about, of John. There'll be a case study of how Amy Porterfield used it as well. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and do some picks. Ruben, do you want to start us off with the picks? Sure. So uh, I've got one pick for this week. I think I mentioned before that I'm a big fan of the uh, Slate Political Gab Fest. And Slate has a whole bunch of podcasts that they do. So David Plotz, who's the former editor of Slate, now former editor, and one of the people on the Political Gab Fest, 
uh, now has a short series of podcasts he's doing that he's calling Working. And he's interviewing people about the work that they do and how they do it. You know, you get up in the morning, what do you do? And his, his first inaugural one uh, was with Stephen Colbert. Um, now, I happen to think Colbert is just brilliant and funny and on and on and and a great satirist. And it was amazing, absolutely fascinating to hear how disciplined he is and has to be in order to make the comedy come off the way it does. And it, it was very enlightening to hear the way that he gets up in the morning. He already has, he, he reads through the news in this way and that way and that way. And um, it was quite inspiring to see how much work and how, discipl- how much discipline you need to get those sorts of results at the end. So I definitely recommend it for, certainly if you like Colbert's comedy, and who doesn't, right? Uh, <laughs> but even if you don't, just sort of get a, a behind-the-scenes look at how some of these things work and uh, how different it is behind the scenes than what you see in front of the camera. Cool. Curtis, what are your picks? I'm going to pick a book called Minding the Store, which is about the founding of the Neiman Marcus store in Dallas. It's more of a history book than it is like a strategy book, but there's lots of really good tidbits out of there. Like uh, one of their personal philosophies is if it's it's not a good sale for the store, if it's not a good sale for the customer. So even if we're going to turn down like a $25,000 sale, that doesn't matter if it's a bad product for the customer and that's how they operate everything on. So then people start coming back to them over and over and over because they know if it's a bad sale, they just won't sell them the product anymore. Cool. Uh, Eric, what are your picks? All right, so I got a pick today from the Freckle blog. It's called How to Land Big Fish Clients with No Cold Calling by Amy Hoy. She's the founder of Freckle. Uh, it's an interesting kind of way to approach your marketing and how you're doing your work when you're trying to find clients. Awesome. Uh, I have one pick, and that is the Business Podcaster Summit. It's going to be in January. It takes place over two weeks. There are a whole bunch of speakers it should be pretty good if you're interested in podcasting and in building a business around it or making money at it, then you can check it out. It's at podcastersummit.com. And Greg, do you have some picks for us? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with the, the new podcast called Startup. If you guys haven't listened yeah. to it, it's really good. Um, Alex Bloomberg, who was the producer of This American Life and Planet Money, broke out and left and is now building his own podcast network. And he tells the whole story in the exact same style, like journalism storytelling as This American Life, but of him building his business. He's on episode five. And I actually just got to meet him um, because I just did a creative live presentation on podcasting 101. And he was doing a two-day segment on, like we did the foundation of podcasts and then he did the art of storytelling and journalism. And after meeting him in person, I mean, just kind of further validated why he's going to be successful. But I mean, the podcast is amazing. If you want to like hear a, like candid stories, very highly produced podcast, which is like so good. Uh, you should definitely, definitely check out the podcast called Startup. Awesome. All right. Uh, we are going to be doing a freelancing Q&A sometime next month. Uh, we haven't picked the day yet. But uh, you can go to freelancersanswers.com and sign up for the mailing list and, you know, get information about when we're going to do that. And we should probably set up a little short code for that. So (laughs) anyway, that's all I've got. So thanks for coming. We'll catch you all next week. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. 
hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the Freelancer Show panelists and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a forum that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. Sign up at freelancershow.com slash forum.